This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Oh, praise the Lord. Aren't those hymns great? Happy day (laughs) when the Lord washed our sins away. How about that first one? Uh, In the cross of Christ I glory. So there's the cross. Towering o'er the wrecks of time. I mean, what an image. There's the cross and the cross ever remaining and every, every kingdom, Alexander the Great and all the rest of them, wrecks of time and the cross. Oh, that's wonderful. And then we sang that song, What a wonderful Savior. That's the cry of our heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for sending to us a wonderful Savior. You had a wonderful son, and he became our wonderful Savior because you wonderfully gave to us, and we thank you for that. Now, Lord, we need your help tonight. We need your help, Lord, as we open your book that, Lord, you promised, and we're so needing that, that you would pour out your Spirit to us you would make known your words to us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now if you'll uh, turn in your Bibles, if you open your Bibles tonight, we're gonna be looking at Exodus chapter 17, continuing right along with Israel in their journey, and now we've come to a part here which is uh, maybe unexpected as far as as what Israel was concerned, as far as what they were expecting, but everything was unexpected. It was all a huge adventure with them. Anyway, Exodus chapter 17, and then start in verse eight here, and this is where we start, Exodus 17, eight. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. 
And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, for he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, if you turn to another passage here, just to fill in the picture here, Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25, 17, a few verses here, Deuteronomy 25, 17, just so we can see more about this war with Amalek in Deuteronomy 25, 17. Deuteronomy 25, 17, where it says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost, the hindmost back part of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee. When thou was faint and weary, he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God have given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, for an inheritance to possess it, thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not remember it. Now, this is what we're studying here tonight. We've been having a great time in the Gospel of Moses as we've been tracing, walking with Israel and their journey on their way to Canaan. And we saw how God delivered them time after time after again. But especially, it all started off with the great deliverance from the judgment of death on that momentous night, that night, that Passover night, that Pesach night, in which God directed them to put the blood on the top of the doorpost and on the two sides of the door of their house to make an umbrella, a blood umbrella of protection from the judgment of God, and that's what they did. And that showed us as we saw that the necessity of each of us making sure that we have in our hearts this blood umbrella of protection. That's what it's all about, the blood umbrella protection from the, from the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Then we saw that after that, we walked with them as they journeyed out until they got to the Red Sea. They were cornered, they were trapped. Their external enemy, the Egyptians, and, and Pharaoh was right on their trail, about to destroy them, and we were with them when they were told, just stand still and see the salvation of God, which they did, and what a salvation that was as God parted the Red Sea, dried up the very ground. They didn't have to slosh through in mud down there. They walked on dry ground, and that same Red Sea, which was for them, salvation became destruction to Pharaoh and his army. And then we went with them, and we saw how they became hungry, hungry, and then so they cried out to God, and God gave them that supernatural bread from heaven. God did rain bread from heaven called manna. And we saw how they collected that manna. They collected that manna daily. They collected that manna early. They collected that manna humbly, and they collected it generously, giving to those 
so that the, nobody had any lack of manna. And that spoke to us. That spoke to us as we saw that we've got to get our scoops out every morning and collect that manna from the word of God. We've got to collect it daily. We've got to collect it early. We've got to collect it humbly. And we've got to collect it generously, sharing what we receive with others. I mean, that was the message from, that we saw last. You know, it was like, I gotta, get, I gotta get out and gather from the word of God. I've gotta get these special messages from God, from the Bible. I gotta gather it early in the day. I've gotta gather it humbly on my knees like the Israelites as they were gathering the manna on their knees. I gotta get it generously so I can share it with others. How did it go this last week? How was your buckets? Were they full? <laughs> That's what God wants. Now, What's happened here is we've come now, that was in Exodus 16. Now we come to the next chapter, Exodus 17, and we see that Israel has come to a place in the beginning here, we didn't read that, but in the first part of the chapter, Israel came to a place where there was no water. There was no water, very typical in Israel. There's a song, you know, it's Lomaim, there's the Bamidbar Lomaim. In the desert, there's no water. In the desert, there's no water. Well, there were in the desert, there was no water. And so what happened? Again, they accused Moses of wanting to bring them into the desert to kill them with thirst. Oh, no, not again. That's all, unfortunately, this repeating history with Israel. And they repeat the same challenge in verse 3 where it says the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is it that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? At least they're consistent. They're gonna have accused Moses. They always accuse him of the same thing, wanting to kill him. So Moses was just beside himself with this. I mean, the way it happened is that as Moses walked out among the people, they gave him those looks. They gave him that look that look of, I wanna kill you. They bent over to pick stones up, to stone him. And so in verse four, you see what happened? Is that Moses, he cried unto the Lord, saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And this is again this setting. This is the setting that happened before this great help came of defeating Amalek here. And again, I wish I could tell you that God gave this victory over Amalek as a reward for Israel because they were so good, but that wasn't the way it was. And the setting there here is, again, it was a repeat of Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, they're ready to stone Moses. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So Moses went to a rock, and he hit the rock with the rod of God, and out of the rock just gushed this torrent of water. And all Israel drank from that same water. They stooped, they drank, they lived. That talks about in 1 Corinthians 10.4. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, they did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that's what the, the water symbolized there. He was smitten. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and out flows the blessing, and we stoop, we drink, we live. What an illustration that is of the deep inner thirst of the soul and the drinking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the drinking of the water. Well, this is the setting for what happened here in this verse that we started off with in verse eight, which is, then came, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. 
Now, this was the war with Amalek. And this is what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at and we're gonna follow Israel in this war with Amalek. And we're gonna see here four points about this war with Amalek. We're gonna see that the war with Amalek was unavoidable. It was unavoidable. We're gonna see just what kind of a war this was. The war with Amalek was subtle. It wasn't the direct confrontation, it was subtle, as we saw in Deuteronomy 25. We're gonna see that the war with Amalek was continuous. It went on and on, it never ended. And we're gonna see that, and this is the best part of all, that the war with Amalek was winnable. It was winnable. So those are the things we're gonna see here. The war with Amalek was unavoidable, it was subtle, it was continuous, but it was winnable. Now, these words that start off here in, in verse eight, then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Israel didn't want a war. They didn't want to fight. They didn't want to fight with Amalek. They did nothing to challenge Amalek. This is the first battle in this ongoing war with Amalek. Amalek just came and found Israel and fought with Israel. Israel's just trying to get to their new homeland that God promised them. Israel's got women and children along with them. The last thing they wanted was to fight with Amalek. They weren't trained for war. They didn't want it out there in the battle is, is not what a Jewish boy should be doing. And that's what makes the surprise of all this in verse seven. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. And so whether Israel liked it or not, they found themselves in a war with Amalek and that's what made this war unavoidable. It was unavoidable, it was compelling because if they wanted to escape from the war, they couldn't, they couldn't. Now, we can just imagine how when Amalek came there and fought with Israel, that Israel would say, who are these people? Who is this? And they said, well, it's Amalek. He says, Amalek, what's an Amalek? And the reply, and so that's the question that's on the table. Who is Amalek? Well, who is Amalek? Okay, so we see Amalek first when he's born in Genesis 36, 12. And Genesis 36, 12 explains to us that there was a concubine to Esau's son. There was a concubine named Timnah, and Esau's son was Eliphaz. And, the, and the, the baby that came out of that union was Amalek. So essentially, Amalek is a descendant of Esau. When you see Amalek, cover him Esau, color him Esau. And who was Esau? Esau was a man of lust. He was a man of lust. He had no care for God. He had no interest in God. God was not in any of his thoughts. That was Esau. Esau was the firstborn of Isaac. And as the firstborn, he stood in line. He stood in line to carry on the spiritual leadership of the name of the family of Abraham and Isaac. That was going to be Esau. He was going to carry on the family name as followers of God. But Esau, the Messiah, was going to come through Esau. But all those benefits that Esau was in line for were not automatic. They were not automatic, why? Because Esau had a free will. Esau had a choice in this matter. And Esau exercised his will and he made his choice and his choice was, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with God. So Esau saw God as restricting in his life, as suffocating to his life. And inwardly, he had an opinion. Oh, he didn't voice it, but he had an opinion inside 
that he didn't want anything to do with his father's God. He had an opinion about being the firstborn to carry on the family name as followers of God, and there's just one word that describes what he thought about that, and it's given to us in Genesis 25, 34. Genesis 25, 34 says, Esau despised his birthright. He looked down on it. He said, ah, I'll light a fire with that birthright. That's worthless. And he said, that's what he is, the idea of being the spiritual leader of the family, the idea of leading them on and continuing on with Isaac's devotion to God, no. Esau said no. And so when he was hungry, he says, I see more value in a bowl of soup than in my, my position as a spiritual leader in this family. And so he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, so Esau is very interesting for us because we have an Esau inside of each one of us. There's an Esau in us. And that Esau inside of us, that beast of Esau inside of us is called the flesh. It's called the flesh. This, our flesh, the flesh, that part in us that has no interest in God, that is the sworn enemy of God as Esau was, and that's what the flesh is inside of us. It's the sworn enemy of God, as it says in Romans 8, 7. Romans 8, 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Esau is a person who said, and our flesh is something inside of us that says, I want it, I want it now, I'm gonna get it now. That's Esau. Esau is, I want it now, and I'm gonna get it now, and that's the kind of person he was. He wanted that soup now, and he's willing to sell his birthright to get that soup, what he wanted now. And each one of us has a flesh inside of us. Each one of us has a little Esau inside of us that we're at war with. And David had a little Esau inside of him. David, King David had a flesh inside of him. He saw a beautiful woman washing herself, and the little Esau inside of David, that flesh inside of David said, I want Bathsheba now, and I don't care if she's another man's wife, I will have that man killed so that I can have that woman now. And when Esau yielded to this Esau, when Esau, when David yielded to this Esau inside of him, when David yielded to this fleshly nature inside of him, David took Bathsheba immediately and then later had her husband killed. And the flesh inside of David was at war with the spirit of David. So that when the prophet Nathan came to David and told him the story about a man who had many many, many lambs, and, but he went to a man who only had one lamb, and he took that man's lamb, killed that lamb. And when David heard that, David was outraged. He was just incensed. He said, that man's gotta be died. That man's gotta be killed. And then Nathan the prophet says, you're the man. You're the man. Thou art the man. What's he saying there? It's the Esau inside of you, David. It's you. Why was he so enraged? and outraged with himself because David's spirit was at war with David's flesh. David's spirit was at war with that little Esau inside, like you and I are. That little Esau that says, I want Bathsheba, I want her now. That was the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he said to his father, he says, I want the inheritance, I want it now. I've got places to go, I've got people to meet. This staying in this home is suffocating to me. It's restricting my life. I wanna go out, and so he wanted to see the world, he wanted to, 
to get out of that suffocating environment of his home, of his godly home. So he went out, he wasted his money on prostitutes and riotous living. And that's what Amalek represents to us, our flesh, that part inside of us that doesn't want to submit to God, that will not live under God's laws, and the flesh inside of us is at war with us, and there's a constant battle going on, and we have to constantly kill this beast inside, and then the beast gets resurrected, he keeps on getting up again from the dead. So as Christians, we have three enemies. We have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the world and the devil are external to us. They're external to us, but the flesh is not. The flesh is internal to us. In that sense, the flesh is our greatest enemy. It's our greatest enemy. You know, it reminds me of this. I have this illustration thing I think about. You know, in Ethiopia, we have a 12-acre compound in, in Ethiopia, about two hours south of the capital, south of Addis. And um, it's a beautiful compound. I wish you all can go there. All right, so next Sunday, you'll, we'll meet there. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, it's a very safe place. I tell them it's very safe. That's why we have a nine-foot-tall concrete wall about this th- thick in concrete with barbed wire at the top and four guard houses on the top and two machine guns and six bullets. But don't tell anybody we have six bullets. That's a secret. I shouldn't have told you that. But anyway, and 12-foot-tall gates. And one morning, one of our guards told us that robbers came in the night before, the last night, the night before, and stole our large electric generator, a generator of electricity. We said, really? We asked, how? How did they do that? I mean, we got the walls, we got the 12-foot gate, you are the guards. And they said, well, we fell asleep. They said, we fell asleep. And while we were asleep, they said, the robbers climbed over the wall. It's a nine-foot wall. It's got barbed wire on top. Over the wall and lifted our generator over the wall. The generator weighs over 1,000 pounds. Now, you've got to see the ladders that they use in Ethiopia. They don't have the ladders like we have at Home Depot here. They have ladders which are made out of eucalyptus branches. Okay, so this is a solid concrete wall. We got barbed wire on the top, and we asked, how are they able to carry the 1,000-pound generator over the wall? And they said, well, they did it with a ladder. They did it with a ladder. So then we called the police, and the police came, and the police asked the guards, where exactly on this wall did they do this? And so they showed them there, and, and sure enough, the, the dirt was all disturbed there, but then... You know, the police are smarter than the average bear. So then they, the police went over to the outside of the wall, you know, to the other side where the ladder had to be, and that ground was perfectly undisturbed. So, well, it was a miracle. You know, how could they do this? So what happened? Our guards were arrested. They were put in prison for three years, and that's why we don't have a large generator to power the property, and that's why we don't have those guards anymore in Ethiopia. Well, what happened? Well, it turns out, Finally, it came out, and it wasn't, you know, it didn't take an Einstein to figure this out. The guards opened the gate. The guards were tied in, and they opened the gate for the robbers to take the generator out. The flesh inside of us are those guards. The flesh inside of each one of us are those guards. It was the guards who opened up the gate to let the robbers come into the compound. The world and the devil comes up to the gates of our hearts, and it's the flesh that opens up the doors. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.